the greatest obstacle or hindrance to our confidence as Christians and Christ followers in Christ or even our compassion for others is not the culture that we face or live in or the progressive thinking or the devil the, or old strategies. No, the, the inward curvature of our heart is the greatest obstacle to our confidence in Christ. And I want to look at Scripture. We're going to look at Paul and how Paul wrestled with that this morning. Augustine, a great church father, um, introduced the terminology um, Incovatus in C, which means the, the inward curve of our hearts, the inward, the inward curvature of our hearts. Luther, the great reformer, spoke and shaped the thinking around it, and certainly the great apostle Paul wrestled openly, even in Scripture, in front of us into, for all to see, about, wrestled around the, the inward curvature of his heart. And we're going to look at that. And before we can take all of London for Jesus, Jesus wants to take all of our hearts. And I'm going to contend this morning for just how do we wrestle with our hearts before God? How, do, how does God's Spirit, how does the Spirit of God take an inward curve, the natural inward curvature of our hearts, and how does He focus our attention around Christ, and how does He move our hearts towards others? And we're going to look at that together. And we're going to read a passage that I'm convinced that Paul must have written and thought, Maybe I should take that out and not share that with everybody else. Have you ever been on Instagram or social media where you write a tweet about a really foul or bad day and you go, let me just delete? How many have done I've done that so many times. I've written out of anger or frustration or even with myself. You write this thing and you go, no, that's a bit too raw and too honest. Let me rather delete this. I'm sure there was something in that. But have you read the post of a friend that actually had the courage to post that? And we have two responses to a post like that, don't we? We go, whoa, my friend, that was too honest and brutal. Did you really want to put it all out there? And then you have another response to go, thank you for putting it out there. I can identify with some of that. And Paul's text today does a bit of that for us. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at just the struggle. If Paul could struggle, if Augustine and Luther and great men of faith could struggle with the inward curvature of their hearts, then you and I are not alone fighting that fight not just with them going ahead, but what God's Spirit does in us. So we're going, to, we're going to be real with Paul this morning in Romans 7 around that struggle. Then we're going to look at what God does and how the gospel turns the, the inward focus of our hearts towards Christ. And then we're going to look, not, just, not just look at Christ, but we're going to look at how that outward focus of our hearts moves towards others. We don't, God just doesn't do a work in us for our own benefit. He, the work that Christ does in us is actually for the benefit of those around us. It doesn't just stop with honor. The, the whole idea of the gospel is not so that honor is secure and loved by Christ, so that, that a secure and loved by Christ honor would love others. It's always an outflowing missional heart. So would you turn in your Bibles or go, I know it will be on the screen. We're going to read um, about eight or nine verses together. Romans 7, chap, chapter 7, verse 17 to 8. Once we read this, you're going to go, ah, I can see why Honor said maybe Paul wanted to leave this out of, the, out of his writings. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Can I just remind us, as we read this passage, remember who's writing this. This is, if, you, if you're new to church, Paul is most probably the, the greatest contributor to the gospel other than Christ and, 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 the, and the five gospels in the beginning of Christendom. This is a father of our faith, a father of the gospel who is clear on the gospel, and this is him writing this. This is not just a, an ordinary Joe. This is a significant leader in the church writing this. But sin that dwells within me, for I know that, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Anybody there? Hey, I, try, I, I know what I should do, but I keep doing the opposite. <laughs> so what Paul is saying here. We can all identify with Paul, verse 20. Now if I want to do what, what, if, now if I do what I do want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right, evil lies close at hand. Another translation says, evil ambushes me. It waits around the corner. It's in anticipation for me. So as I walk around the corner, it's waiting to grab hold of me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in the members of another, in other words, my flesh, my body, who I am, the law waging war against the law of my mind and, the making, me ca- and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my body, within me. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Listen to his language. Calvin says, this is a cry where Paul gets to, he's so depressed about the state of his flesh, he's going, rather take my life than carry on living with this contradiction that I seem to be living in. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just see how the, the switch is happening. So then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Hey, Paul, what's going on? Romans 8 verse 2, for the law of the Spirit is life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What an incredible passage. We're going to unpack that together this morning. The inward curvature of my heart wars against my confidence in Christ. If there is something or anything in our life that will rob us of confidence in Christ, that I am His, and that He is mine, that I am in Him, it is the inward curvature of our heart that so easily happens within us. Listen to the language that Paul uses here. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have a desire to do good, but I know that I don't carry that out. How many of us, um, it's almost like a New Year's resolution here. I know I want to do all these things, and then by February we've canned the list, and we don't have a list anymore. For I do the good things I want to do, and I know what I want to do, but I I keep doing the bad stuff. Evil lies close. It's not difficult for me to sin. Paul's saying it's so easy. I find it like, hey, I'm really sucking at this. Like, it's so easy for me to step into temptation. I see my members law against and, and waging war against me. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is strong language that Paul is using. And I'm certainly that there is something in him that thought, I wonder if I should leave this in Scripture. And we have to ask the question, why did Paul leave this in Scripture? The language he uses here, waging war within myself, our growing, our sanctification, sanctification is a theological word for the ongoing work of regeneration, of God bringing us alive in Christ and turning us more and more into Christ-likeness. The language is not a, a passive language. This is a war that is raging in Paul. He's almost saying, if you're going to become more and more like Christ, there is a war that you, you say yes to. We're almost inviting ourselves into a, a raging war. He uses the word of raging war against myself. He uses the word captivity. I want to break free. Sounds like a, a, a good English rock song that, that we all know who sang, if you're old enough. Um, I know nothing good dwells within me. That is my flesh. If I look at honor, if I look at inside, the inward curvature of my heart, I look at what's inside, I can't find anything that brings me hope or life or anything that gives me any hope for the future. 
for I have these desires, but I can't even carry them out. I want to do all these things. I, I want to bring a friend to salt, but I know I'm just going to fade. Or I want to come to life group, and I, I'm just not going to make it. I want to get to church more. I want to read my, hey, ever been there? We, all these things we want to do, we just can't get there. Even the smallest steps sometimes in our faith feels like it's a wall that's raging on the inside. Why can't I be there? I'm so glad Paul left this in Scripture. Hey, I can identify with this. I hope you can identify with a lot of this. And even amid the working of divine grace in his life, and in your life, in my life, there's still a moral and spiritual battle going on. Just because God's Spirit's working in us doesn't mean that we are, we've stopped raging a war against the flesh and the inward curvature of our hearts. No, the drive to do evil lurks alongside us. It's almost like a companion that just keeps... We have a lab, a black lab at home, um, it's called Frodo. I, I can't think, there can't be a cooler dog name than Frodo. But we were thinking of calling it Shadow. Because everywhere Claire goes, Shadow goes. Frodo is just with her all the time. We grew up in South Africa. Dogs aren't house dogs. They don't come inside. They're meant to be outside and guard the, 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 the other the animals or your house. We do still have wild roaming things in Africa. And shadow is with it. And it's almost like Paul is using the language, wherever I go, the shadow, evil is close by. There's the temptation for me to not do. Not a pleasant state of being in. It arouses this cry for him, help. Another Beatles song, hey, help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Can someone please help me? It's almost a cry in Paul. And Paul's inward curve lets him, left him hopeless, powerless. Fail, fail, am I failing at this thing? this very thing I'm preaching and believing in, I've, I'm, I'm failing at this thing. Ever been there in your faith and your walk with Jesus and you're going, hey, I, I, one step forward, two back? And then sometimes you go three steps forward, you go, oh, yeah, we go back again. What's going on? Or maybe you're even investigating faith and you're going, I don't, I'm not even going to try and live like those guys. It's impossible to try and be like that. Like I say, Calvin thought that Paul was at a place of asking the Lord to take his life. Like, I'd rather not live like this. I can't live with this contradiction, seeming contradiction inside of me. And most people would agree that this flesh and the rage against sin and in our inner side goes on until the day we are with Christ. Until the day we die, we are going to be in this battle. It is not gonna, it's not around the corner. It's not gonna, and some days we're going to be winning, and some days we're going to write Instagram posts like Paul, Saying, wretched am I, I, what am I doing here? Can I even call myself a Christ follower? I want to follow Christ, but I follow all these other things. Why in the world would Paul leave this openly? Did Paul not know that centuries later, you and I would be sitting in a church and reading this post? You can delete tweets. You can delete a Facebook post or Insta. We, see, I'm in the generation, we're still on Facebook. I'm sorry. Like, that's... My, People say, yeah, my mom's, my granny's on Facebook. I'm, anyway, this was not deleted. This wasn't taken out of Scripture. It was purposefully left there for you and I. He knew that this letter carried some authority. This wasn't just anybody. This was Paul writing. He knew that over the centuries this will be read in churches. Paul, the great church-planting pastor, the leader of movements, the greatest missionary in Christian history, Paul, that endured countless beatings, imprisonments, and persecutions for the sake of Christ, Paul, who would give his own life under Christ, under Nero, 
wrote this and left it in Scripture, saying, I want to let you know what's going on on the inside of my life. Paul wanted you and I to know that the struggle and the fight is a real struggle and a real fight, and that everyone in this room, if you are following Christ, will endure this struggle and battle. Every person in this room will fight this fight and will struggle like this. In Romans 7, verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I look within myself and there's nothing good. See, the inward curvature of our lives, when we look at ourselves, there's nothing good in honor. To save honor or to even do the things that Christ has called me to. When our hearts are curved inwards, um, you, uh, the language actually is humanity turned in or curved in on itself. That he uses here. We used to sing, and this happens now at the end of this passage, and we're going to we're going to change gears now. Remember the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Like there's a turning of Paul's eyes upon Jesus at the end of this chapter. Read with me at the, at the end. But then the gospel grabs or captures our gaze. Day after day, you and I need reminding of the glorious realities of there is no condemnation for you and I. So Paul, what happens at the end is, is stunning in this passage. I mean, I only, I, I'm preaching this because a few weeks ago in my devotional time, I read this, and I could see this gear change in Paul, and I thought, this is worth sharing. In verse 25, thanks be to God through Christ our Lord. We sang anthems and songs this morning about Christ and everything he's done. And he moves from wretched man, take my life, I'm useless and worthless, to thanks be to God. He's, what's happening? God's spirit is turning his gaze from his, from his belly button to Christ. He's saying, let me see Christ. And when he sees Christ, he goes, there is no condemnation for me. It is settled on the Christ. Thanks be to God through, the, through Christ Jesus. So then I myself serve the Lord in my mind, but, but my flesh serves that. And then verse 1 in chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is the same Paul. This is the same guy that just told us, wretched man, I am useless, I am failing. I, I find it easy to sin. I, I find it easy, easier to do the things that God doesn't want me to do than the things that I, that I know God wants me to do. This is the same Paul that writes, in the, in the next verse he goes, there is no condemnation for me. I can be real before God with my struggle that's going on on the inside and at the same time say, there is no condemnation for me. Just because I'm struggling doesn't mean that I'm condemned by Christ. No, the opposite is quite true. I struggle because God's Spirit is working and waging and raging a war within me. And listen to verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life, um, of life is to set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. I'm so grateful these verses are there at the end of that passage. Can you imagine that passage just ended? Wretched man that I am, condemn me to hell. No, it doesn't end there. Paul's gaze is transfixed onto Christ. He turns from an inward gaze of what's wrong with me to how majestic is Jesus and what he's done for me. And it leaves him free. And he goes, there's no condemnation. I'm battling, I'm struggling, but I'm not doing it under condemnation. I'm doing it in freedom and in life and in the life of Christ. And Paul expresses this gratitude to God whose work in Christ is complete. But, but Paul also notes that the moral struggle amid which the gospel message sustains God's people, that that struggle against sin is perplexing at times, overwhelming for many of us, but he still feels the need and the joy of the, there is no condemnation. I am battling. I am struggling in my faith. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're sitting in church. I, I don't even know why I'm here. 
Why am I bothering with Christianity or church or trying to follow Jesus? I just keep failing and struggling and battling. Is this meant? A friend of mine used to use the terminology. It feels like swimming through peanut butter. Can you imagine that just that sometimes Christianity feels more like that than sliding down a water tube and just making miles and miles and, and, and great progress? Sometimes Christianity feels like we're swimming against peanut butter. This is a struggle. No, but Paul says there's no condemnation in this struggle. This is a good fight. This is a good struggle. It is a sure sign that God is in you and working within you, that you still want to fight the good fight and, and step up. In Christ, there is a real struggle and war against our flesh. We are more curved inwards on ourselves than we'd like to admit. I'm so thankful that Paul's okay to admit it. That is me. That is us. Than we'd like to admit. But there's also more freedom and joy and life than we could ever imagine in Christ. It's so interesting to encourage you. Listen to Paul's language. A year before he writes this, in Corinthians, to the Corinthians church, he, re- he writes, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree to, of glory to the other. This is a year before he wrote the text I just read, wretched man. We are being changed from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord Jesus, who is the Spirit. Paul saying, I'm being changed into the likeness of Christ by God's Spirit. A year later, he's writing, wretched man, and I, who am I, what am I doing here? I cannot follow Jesus. I can identify with some of that. And then a year or two later, in Philippians, Paul writes, I want to show you because this is his progress, this is Paul. A year or two later, to Philippians, he writes, Be confident of this to the church, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ. Can you see what happens to Paul? Hey, God is changing me by his spirit. Wretched man, this is tough. I'm battling, I'm struggling. I don't know if I'm going to see the other end. Rather take my life out or take me out here. And then a year or two later, he goes, hey, I'm confident. Then Christ who started a work in me will finish it in in me. Hey, can you see the progression? To a church in Wales, I said, 2018, Jesus is working. He's going to change me. 2019, I suck. I'm giving up on faith. 2022, hey, I'm confident God will finish the work he started in me. No human weakness. Paul Tripp says this. No human weakness can stop the march of the personally redeeming and cosmos renewing plan and power of God. Philippians, God started it, he'll finish it. Hebrews, the one that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginner and the finisher of my faith. And it's beautiful how Paul, two years later, can write to a church, be I'm confident, not in your ability to follow Christ perfectly, but that Christ would complete the work that he's begun in you. Can you see how the gears change in his life? How the gears change for you and I. And Paul gaze turns, gaze, Paul's gaze turns by the power of the gospel. Not in his own doing, by the Spirit. The gospel. The Spirit turns his gaze outwards. Not him. This is not let's pull ourselves up by our boot, bootlaces. That is saying in England, I don't know if it's like in South Africa, say pull yourself right or um, pull yourself towards yourself or um, mark yourself rach, or uh, uh, I didn't swear, or speak in tongues, it was Afrikaans, just kind of, kind of like, just fix yourself. You know, like, we don't believe in a gospel of Thomas the, the, the steam engine, steam train, is it? Tank engine? See, culturally inappropriate honor. You know, like when he goes up a, a really steep hill, he goes, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not the gospel. Paul goes the opposite, I cannot do this on my own, I cannot do this on my own. 
I need someone very powerful, someone that knows me, to curve my heart towards Christ. I cannot curve my heart towards Jesus. Only God's Spirit can do that. You, you and I cannot worship Christ with everything we have in our own strength. We, can, we will not. We will worship ourselves. We will curve back in. Have you ever taken a tennis ball, a half a tennis ball, and, and popped it wrong way, wrong way up, inside out, and put it on a flat surface? What happens? It pops back to the original, what, the way it was. Our hearts are like that. Just left to our own devices, we will curve inwards. God's Spirit is the only thing and only power and only person that keeps us curving towards Christ. Every time that you worship Christ, it's a work of God's Spirit. Every time you, you are generous towards someone else, it's God's Spirit curving out. It's not in our own. We curved inwards. That's our natural bent because of sin. And lastly, I want to just end shortly with this. The inward curved heart is our chief enemy or the chief enemy of the mission of God. See, if we believe that everything is about just getting on and worshiping Jesus and it ends there, we have half a gospel. Because God curves my heart towards Christ and as soon as my heart curves towards Christ, it curves towards others, away from me, towards others. How do I love others? How do I care for others? Being curved inward on on oneself is the main enemy of making and maturing disciples. Why should I invest in others? Without Christ, you and I and everything I do curves towards ourselves. And we believe even common grace that Jesus gives us is not just for our own personal benefit, but for the benefit of others. We really believe that even the good things that God gives us, if it's curved inwards, becomes sour or goes off, loses its fragrance and the life it's meant to be given. Even a little thing like a Sabbath, rest. If it's curved inwards, it becomes poisonous almost to our lives. Dane Ortlund writes this about the Sabbath. He says, there's... There's no such thing in Scripture as a weekend. <laughs> that's, a, that's the world's attempt at a Sabbath. With five days of work, feeding two days of worshipping myself, leaving us hollow and empty. Scripture is one day of worshipping God, feeding six days of work, buoyant, full of life, in deep rest for seven days. See, we can take rest, and even if it becomes selfish and about me, eventually it will kill us and destroy us. But if rest is part of our worship for Christ and it's curved outwards towards Christ, it brings life to us and it gives life to, life to the other six days of our week. In South Africa, weekends have become a massive like me time. If, like, I don't want to offend you, I don't know if you do that in, in the UK, but when I drive past churches and they go Sunday fun day, I'm going, no, like, <laughs> Sunday is his day. <laughs> like, it's my day to worship him and to rest in him and celebrate his kindness and grace towards me. I hope I haven't offended any. But our curvature towards Christ also leads, leaves us curving towards others and sharing his love towards others. Martin Luther called this humanity curved in on itself. Humanity, once the glimmering crown of God's magnificent creation, now turned inward, self-obsessed, sick, faulty, misfortunate. Matt Jensen writes this about Augustine, the great church father I told you about earlier. He talks about the gravity of sin, and he says this, And hence the falsehood, we commit sin to promote our own welfare, and the result is rather an increased misfortune. We commit sin to make us happier, but it leaves us more miserable than before. Curved inwards, not caring or curved towards others. 
And the greatest gravity of sin, the greatest irony is that as we pursue our own happiness, like an immune system that, that autoimmune disease, when it even attacks the healthy parts, anything curved in on itself becomes unhealthy. But watch what the Spirit does. I'm just going to give you three references, and not even the proper, just Philippians 4, verse 2 and verse 5. I'm just going to read it first quickly. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is what the gospel does. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom. We are called to life and freedom in Christ. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to curve inwards. He's literally saying, don't curve inwards with your, with your freedom that Christ has given you. Use every opportunity, but through love serve one another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 1, 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18 says, By this we, will know, you, we know love, that we lay down his life for us as we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. See, what the gospel does is as soon as it curves us outwards to Christ, we become like Christ. And what did Christ do? Serve others and lay down his life for others. Others became more important than himself. And this is only the Spirit that can do this. Only the Spirit can fix our gaze upon Christ. Only God's Spirit. If you're struggling today, you're going, I'm that honor, I'm struggling in my, in my walk with Christ. It's not do better. It's put your hand up and go, help. Holy Spirit, would you help me? I'm curving inwards. Would you help me? Could you, could, I, I, I trust that I, I'm not praying out of condemnation or guilt. I'm asking you to help me curve outwards. I'm so looking inwards. Could you help me curve outwards? Robert Mulholland says this, if you want a good litmus test of your spiritual growth, Simply examine the nature and quality of your relationships with others. If you want to know how you're doing with Jesus, how are you doing with others? What's it like being around you? How do others leave your company? Could I pray for us? And then I'm going to hand it over. May I? Would you, let's take our time before Christ. Jesus, we, we acknowledge with Paul that becoming and living like you call us to, there is a real struggle at hand. We acknowledge that sin seems so easily there for us to step into. We find excuses and reasons to not do what you've called us to too easily. Even when serving you, we do it because we want to gain something from it ourselves. Even when caring for people, we, we're looking for power or position or praise from people. Lord Jesus, how do we get to the place where our only concern is your glory? We acknowledge that we cannot change the curvature of our hearts. We are powerless, useless to do that in our own strength. Spirit of the living God, would you help me? Would you help us? Would, would you help us curve towards Christ more? Would you remind us of what Christ has done for us? Would we reach verse 25 in Romans and verse 1 and 2 in Romans 8 as Paul reached in his walk that there is no condemnation for us in Christ. There is a freedom and a life that the Spirit calls us to and I pray for my brothers and sisters that are, are battling with sin, are struggling with their walk. Even for the, I pray for those who, who are just investigating Christ and the claims that he's made, who find that I thought I could pursue happiness and still find that happiness empty. Holy Spirit, would you open eyes this morning? Would you, would you do something that we are unable to do? We are so ready and we're so okay with putting our hands up and saying, I can, 
I cannot change the curvature of my heart. I need help, and I need help from someone greater than me, more powerful than me, to help me. Would you do that in us this morning? And Lord, we pray this not for just our own selfish individual benefits, but that we would be a blessing to others, that we could show the grace and mercy and freedom and liberty to others that don't know you, Christ, and to others amongst us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.